Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. Pumped to be here today. Great show planned for you. And no interview. And I bumped the interview on purpose. Don't tune out now. But I bumped the interview on purpose because there's a lot of things that I wanted to address with you guys on the macro side of it. And I love the right. I love the the guests we have on, um, but they don't always hit on things that I think are important. So now maybe that means that they're not as important as I think. But I but I think that there's some really interesting things going on the macro side that I really want to spend some time and delve into today. Uh, you know, just about the general economy and where we're at, and um, hopefully it proves valuable to you um, because as, as crazy as things are and as opaque as the larger picture is, I think that there's a little bit of clarity there and, and um, you don't ever want to use the word certainty in investing because it's kind of an oxymoron. But um, I, I, I just, I think there's some, va- hopefully, I mean, maybe you guys will listen to it be like, Zach, that was a waste of time. <laughs> so hopefully that's not that's 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 not the conclusion you come to. Um, but yeah, so going to switch it up a little bit. But anyway, um, and then I was talking about this couple couple different updates. First of all, some of these updates you may not care about, but I, I got to do it. So my second grader, my second grader, Cyrus, and my fourth grader or going into see Cyrus is going into second grade. He's seven. And Kai, um, and my name, my father's name is Kai, K-Y-E. My name is Zachary Kai, and my firstborn son is Kai Zachary. And he's going into fourth grade. And they're playing tackle football for the first time. Both of them are. And uh, the watching my sons play sports has been exhilarating and also nerve-wracking being an athlete. Um I am really, <laughs> really having to keep the handcuffs on as when it comes to football. But I went to my son's practice last night, and he was having a scrimmage. First scrimmage he's ever played in. They've been playing football for like two and a half weeks, right? Started practice like two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that. And uh, this is his first scrimmage. And he was starting at linebacker, which I played linebacker in college. So that was pretty cool. And running back. So he's, so he's good, but he's still figuring out the game, right? And my younger son is a beast. He, he, (laughs) this is the kid that at like, what was it? Like 14 months old, couldn't quite walk yet, but decided he didn't want to stay in the crib. So he'd literally throw himself out of the crib. You'd hear this big thud and then he'd figure out a way to go over to the door and, and open it. And we'd find him at like 15, 16 months old, just wandering around the upstairs of our house. Uh, he's just contact, right? He he loves hitting. I mean, he's just a a beast. Kai is much more cerebral anyway. So we've been working on, you know, he's just still learning the game, working on the fundamentals. But last night went to his, uh, uh, scrimmage and he, uh, read a play beautifully. He jumped playing linebacker. He undercut the receiver, jumped the route, read the quarterback, picked the ball off. I realize that has nothing to do with finance. I don't sit here and talk about my kids a lot. But that was such a crazy, weird, cool, proud moment. Um, and the funny thing was, is it was the part of the game that I always struggled with the most. Uh, it's just tough to do what he did. Anyway, I was just really proud of my boys. Uh, uh, other one, books to read. I, I was saying in this in the warm-up segment, and, and again, just so you guys know, first three minutes of the show are just aired up here for whatever reason, the way it works out. They're just aired up here in a, a one station in Seattle, and then all the other stations come on and we start. But I, w- I was referencing a book by David McCullough called To Try Men's Souls. You guys probably know I'm a bit of a history, especially historical military buff. Just always been fascinated by it. Um, 
that's a phenomenal book. But but it led me to a book that I've read recently that everybody should read. It's called Grant. It's a biography about Ulysses S. Grant. And um, throughout reading this book, he has become one of my preeminent heroes uh, in American history, especially for the Civil War. Um, it is really amazing how much general history, how badly general history has missed the mark on Grant. Um, I thought Grant was sort of a, a sledgehammer that just relied on bigger, heavier, superior numbers to beat Robert Lee, the superior general. Um, upon further review, that is incorrect. Um, upon further review, it's really hard to make the argument that in the Civil War, the best field commander general total was Ulysses S. Grant. And one of the very things about it, and this will tie into investing, but I also just think it's a fascinating book everybody should read. Um, one of the things that I'd never really thought about is how much harder Grant's job was than Lee, right? Lee's job was to keep the war going as long as possible. They never thought that they could last straight up against the Union and win because eventually, best case scenario, even for the South, it becomes a war of attrition and they just didn't have the population. Um, whereas Grant had to end the war, so he had to chase Lee and I just was not aware of what a good man he was. Um, what an incredible strategist. If you actually look at it, Grant in the Civil War lays the groundwork for what the modern field commander is now. They're as much CEO as they are technician. And Grant took this global perspective. He was a risk manager. He wasn't just trying to get in and out and make the quick buck. He was trying to manage the entire portfolio and generate a desirable outcome regardless of the circumstances. And yes, I can bring everything back to investing. And if that bugs you, you should probably just turn it off now. Um, but what amazed me about Grant is that, like I said, remember when Schwarzkopf, remember Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Schwarzkopf goes in there and just that brilliant campaign that he ran and the way he managed all the different parts, that that is the model. Grant really set that in motion because up until that point, you just you really just had battlefield commanders. And there were some exceptions. I mean, Napoleon and Alexander the Great had more of a global perspective, but they weren't dealing with telegrams. Right. This was the first war fought on that kind of scale where you could have not all the time, not consistently, but instantaneous communication via telegram. So it really was the first theater in which any man commanded and worked with and, and in real time was dealing with multiple fronts at the same time. He was also a logistics genius. One of the ways that they beat the South was by this constricting thing where they, they, they cut off supply lines. It was just, they were, they were pressuring them on so many fronts. Anyway, I don't, it's not a book review hour here. I don't want to bore you guys, but um, if you're into that stuff at all, the book is just called Grant and it's written by, uh, oh, geez, am I blanking right now? Is it, um, anyway. Look, look up the uh, Ron Chernoff, I, I believe is his name, Ron, Ron Chernoff, um, but just spectacular. And if you're into it, it is a page turner. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's get in the market update, though. Um, let's see. First of all, uh, Fed minutes came out yesterday. <sighs> um. For all those people, and I don't really know how many there are, but really it seemed that the ethos under this latest, what I still believe is a bear market rally, really seems like the ethos underlying it was a Fed pivot. I Look, they can do anything they want, but I think the least likely thing to have happen in this environment is a very quick Fed pivot. As a matter of fact, I think a Fed pivot is going to require some very nasty markets and some very bad news. So I, I think that that's misplaced. Uh, the other reason why I say that is if you look at Fed minutes and if you listen to what the Fed is saying, I think you see at least a 50 basis point hike again in September, um, potentially another 75. Um, they are not stopping. And I, you know, I just keep going back to it. I, 
until the Fed reverses, I just don't think that the bulls have a leg to stand on. Now, markets can still do whatever they want. I will continue. If I'm wrong, I'll be the first to admit it. I will continue to reiterate that I think it is virtually impossible to sustain. Now, this doesn't mean that things are going to implode. Okay. But in my mind, looking at the math, I think it is virtually impossible to envision or picture this beautiful, miraculous Phoenix rising from the ashes types of market, you know, that kind of resiliency in this environment while the Fed continues to hike aggressively. Dollar index back above 107. They hike again and you got to think it's going to 110, 112. At a certain point, if these trends stay in place, you know, oil softened a little bit, but I... You know, I think you could see a spike down in oil, but I kind of think you're approaching what appears to be the bottom. I mean, here's the other thing. You've got – let's just look at the setup here as far as oil goes, right? You still have the biggest SPR release in history, the largest coordinated SPR release in history, everybody out there, right? You've, you've still got big swaths of China. China's daily gasoline demand is still down uh, – what is it? 700 million barrels a day from the peak prior to the crisis, Okay, so a big source of consumption is offline. We all know what's going on with the Russian dynamics. We all know energy policy is not is not uh, encouraging people to get out there and bring more um, supply onto markets. Um, you know, oil could do whatever it wants. It spikes down. I, I just think that the kind of the the maintenance level clearing price of oil. Just on a supply demand basis, I, you know, I think low end, maybe you see it spike down to 70, 65. I just don't think it can stay there because any development you've got will just be shut off. Um, at some point, that Chinese demand is going to have to bounce back a little bit. Um, I think the Russian situation is going to be messy for a long time. Um, and despite all these bearish factors, China demand down. And it's not just them, guys. Our demand is down. Right. This is this is the other thing that is making me really have a hard time believing in this much stronger economy than people thought. So goes the narrative. There's also something you got to keep in mind. I was talking with a client of mine yesterday about this. Um, there's somebody on Twitter that I follow called Helen Meisler, and she has a saying, which is uh, nothing changes sentiment like price, meaning when you get a rally at 23 percent in three weeks on the Nasdaq. You're going to get people feeling more bullish and you're going to let you're going to they're going to be looking at more. A lot of people are going to be looking at things more through a rose colored glasses. Right. And sometimes that's the right way to do it. Sometimes it's not. I think it happens to be the wrong way. I, I, I just don't see anything that has gotten better. People cite job numbers. You guys have heard my take on job numbers. They're a massively lagging indicator, and all of these quote-unquote jobs is just still, you're still back, and you're, you're, you're pretty close to it. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but all you've been doing is backfilling the giant hole that was created by COVID. So it's not, right, it's not a bad thing, but it's not the good thing that everybody's parroting it to be. Um, you know, the other thing, and you guys have heard me say this, we didn't, see this, we didn't expect to see any market you know, slowdown in economic indicators through this summer. Um, reasons are clear. It's first summer off of COVID around the world. The whole world is much more free to travel. There are places that are still locked down. But when you look at this summer, you know, think of the weddings that have been delayed because of this, right? That are happening this year. Think of the pent up demand as far as vacations and trips and all this kind of stuff. Um, it was just really hard to see. I just couldn't picture economic indicators taking a big move South during this summer, um, yet oil demand is down, which shows some economic softness, right? Uh, which you'd expect. And yet you're still seeing inventory draws. I mean, energy is just, I mean, it's just hung in there even tougher than I thought it would. Um, so the other thing, key technical levels here on the NASDAQ, you guys know we've been really checking the NASDAQ. Uh, no real clarity today other than the fact that you bumped up above that 13,000 level and you tried to get above it and hang. Uh, you're not doing that right now. NASDAQ's at 12,684. Um, again, this doesn't tell us anything for sure, but that is a failure at a key level. Okay. Um, so again, I, I can't, I, nobody knows for certain what's going on. 
But today, still very much looking like a bear market rally. You know, you get up to that key, dusting right up against the 200-day on the S&P, still a little bit off as far as the NASDAQ goes, and you fail. Now, you haven't catastrophically failed yet, but again, I still see no evidence that this isn't a bear market rally. Every piece of evidence that I am looking at is pointing in the other direction. So, we'll see, right? Because if facts change, so will our take, Right? And, and I want to reiterate, guys, that's one of the other advantages. If I seem kind of laissez-faire about it, I am. Because, A, I don't know which direction markets are going. No intellectually honest person does. They tell you they do. They're full of it. Um, but the other nice thing about risk management is if you avoid the hit, if you're not down 15 to 20% this year, if you're sitting right around flat like most of our clients are, You know, if the market wants to rally back and make another run, great. We'll let it come catch us and we'll go with it. But the point is, is we're not sitting there going, you know, I'm not sitting there under the same conundrum that other money managers are who are down 20% on the year going, hey, if this market rallies, I have to participate in it or I'm going to have some ugly performance and I'm going to lose clients. Right. They can't play it extra safe because they've already taken a hit. And that's one of the other ancillary benefits of risk management is you're not you're not forced into those positions. Right. Um, but we talked about So the key technical levels there on on the uh, <clears throat> on the uh, on the Nasdaq, uh, again, if anything, they're not they're not unequivocally answering any questions. But again, all the evidence still points to bear market rally from what I see now, again, could be wrong. But I'll see it. Also, we're seeing the return of the meme stocks. This is another thing to me that screams bear market rally. Um, Just because that's that's what you should see, right? You should see the market attempting to get back to that insane euphoric state. People pressing on the button again, even though it's broken. Um, But just as quick as that meme stock run started... Bed Bath and Beyond is down. Jeez, you guys are probably watching Bed Bath and Beyond, and we made a lot of money on that one. I haven't wanted to touch it because as soon as the economy came off lockdown on Bed Bath and Beyond, their fundamental data started going the other way. So where I thought at that time they were going to be able to now remember we sold out of Bed Bath and Beyond around forty six back at the end of twenty twenty. Um, and the reason we did that is we thought it was worth 15 to 20. Um, and we were looking at it because we were like, okay, it, it has to come back down to earth a little bit. Cause this is nuts. Um, but Hey, if it turns the corner and starts getting better fundamentally, it hasn't done that. And that's why we haven't gotten back involved as a matter of fact, quarter over quarter, I believe they just announced like a 27% reduction in, in, uh, in, um, in sales, um, guys, again, I don't know what this thing's going to do, but don't go into this thing. Uh, we did not get back involved. They, they, it's the fundamental story hasn't held. They didn't, they, they, they'd invested a lot into online sales and that investment paid off for them during COVID. But now in retrospect, looking at it, it was that investment alone that was holding them afloat. And as soon as that forced demand, right from COVID left, then they went right back to being on a downward trajectory. It just looks uninvestable at this point. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at the numbers. I would expect to see this company bankrupt inside of the next two years if it doesn't get bought. You know, if something else doesn't happen. Could be wrong. It just doesn't look good. Um, people still trying to rally these AMC stocks and GameStop. I, Again, all of those things point to that ridiculousness still going on what you want to see to 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 really think that you've grabbed some footing is you want to see markets get sober you want to start seeing evaluations make sense you want to start you want it to start resembling an adult's game again right it's still not doing that uh you failed at those levels again nobody knows for sure but I am just still very much convinced. As a matter of fact, we are net short again, got net short earlier this week. Uh, not net. We've, we're long exposure on, on energy still. Um, we're about even on tech. So we put the tech hedges back on uh, two days ago. Um, and we've got a really nice substantial position in volatility. Um, just because the attitude was, hey, 
if we break through this level, then we'll reconnect and or we'll get rid of the hedges and we'll let it drift back up. But if we fail at this level, we want that protection and, and that's where we're at. I think we're actually sitting about even on the day. NASDAQ's down two and a half, S&P's down like one and a half. Um, so it's already paying off one day though. Doesn't make a, doesn't make a trend. Right. Um, but yeah, I, you know, oh, the other thing I want to talk, I got some comments about this that I made on last week's show talking about my portfolio. I want to be clear about something. The vast majority of my family's money is invested in the exact same portfolios that our clients are in. We manage the portfolios. It should be of no surprise. People are always like, do you invest the same way? And I'm like, Yeah. And if I thought there was a better way to do it, I'd be investing my money in a different way and I'd be investing yours too, right? It's one of the benefits of working with the fiduciary guys is our only incentive is to give you the best performance. Okay, so whatever we're pitching to you, well, we should be invested in anyway. But I also have a side personal account that when I see really good opportunities in stocks that are really cheap, and what I mean by that is stocks that I don't really care which direction the price goes in the interim, just because I feel like I'm buying so much value, it doesn't really matter to me. And you guys know that's my thought on a lot of these different energy companies at this point. So when I referred to my account the stocks that are in my account, I've only got like four of them. They're in our regular portfolios. I just, in that account, I just put those things that I think are the most frothy that I'm not worried about near-term performance, just as kind of long-term holds. Um, so if any of our clients listening want to do that, you can call me and talk to me. I just got to warn you that, you know, I think at one point that account for me was up 75% this year. I think at another point it was up like 25. So, I mean, you're talking about 50% whips. Quite honestly, guys, and, and the reason the, the warning about wanting to do that is I don't even care. I don't even pay attention. When those things drop more, I'll buy more. Um, they're just kind of long-term holds for me, just things I put aside and just go, I don't really care what that does in the interim. Um, so I hope that clears it up, any confusion that was out there. But no, um, we're very much at the same level, guys, same place, still very much in the thought that this is a bear market rally. I still think caution is the better part of valor here. Um, Valuations do not make sense unless you think that we're about ready to get some economic acceleration here. Having a tough time wrapping my head around that. We'll talk about that more in my macro outlook in the final segment of the day. And then coming up next, I want to do a segment on risk management. Um... And a a real life example that I think illustrates risk management and the downside of not using it. And you're going to have to stay with me here because this is not, I will not be using, I'm going to use a sports analogy that's, that's come to mind recently. Um, And then as of course, so that, that will be in the, so risk management will be next. Then we're going to do another bond replacement segment. There's parts of our bond replacement that have had some unbelievable results that I want to share with you to show you that there's another way to skin a cat and um, there's a better way to do things. Um, And then the last segment will be that macro one. So stick with us as always, guys, if this is resonating with you, and I really hope it is because the outcomes and the performance and the lack of volatility, I really think that we've proven it. Are we perfect? No, but I think that we have shown over years now, over time, that as far as retirements are concerned, if you're close to it, if you're into it, we have a better way, a way that's got less fees, less risk, even more potential upside. There's a better way. Call us, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, Bulwark Capital Management. You guys know the drill. We'll be right back. Stick with us through the break. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Tori Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? 
ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. All right, so let's get into one of my favorite topics, which, again, if you've listened to the show at any time, you, you know that it's risk management, right? Know your risk radio, so we don't really hide it. Um, but something that I've been following, and if, again, if you guys have been following it, you probably know that I'm a huge fan of football. I played college football at Pacific Lutheran University, grew up playing it. Um, football is one of those games you get it in your blood, and it's tough to get it out. And I told you the story about my boys playing now and all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> interesting, interesting thing. Uh, for those of us – now – for those of you down in Arizona, bear with me, okay? I know. I, it's, I'm a Seahawks guy, but the Cardinals are my second favorite team. Phoenix is, is like a second home to us. Um, been, been lucky enough to, to meet several of the guys on the Cardinals team because of, you know, relationships we've got down there. And um, so, But this is a local analogy. So those out of Portland, too, you know, you're probably Seahawks fans, but just bear with me here. So we all know about the quarterback situation in Seattle, right? Russell Wilson goes to the Denver Broncos. And um, one of the things that really surprised me about this offseason, you need a quarterback. You do, when, the whole, when Cleveland picked up Deshaun Watson, now for those of you that don't play sports, just, just bear with me because I think you'll get the point. Cleveland signs Deshaun Watson. I don't even want to get into that conversation. That's a whole can of worms. Um, and Baker Mayfield is their starting quarterback. And in my opinion, Baker gets a really bad rap. He kind of seemed to me like a really solid value stock that for whatever reason fell out of favor and had a bunch of negative things attributed to it. And I was listening to these people talk about, oh, he can't get it done. Da, da, da. And I went back and I was like, you know, what? I, that's just not my been my impression. So I went back and look at Baker Mayfield's stats. What was really interesting to me, first of all, most quarterbacks historically, when they come into the NFL, they struggle for their first year or two. Um, it's probably the most difficult position to play in all of professional sports. Just when you think about the mental stuff they have to deal with, pressure, you know, all the different things. It's, 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 it's such a complex position. Um, and we, so I went and I want to take a look back and go, how does make, how does Baker Mayfield stats stack up against other great quarterbacks in their first three years? And when you start looking at the numbers and quit listening to the critics and the cynics and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, Troy Aikman won three Super Bowls, Baker Mayfield's production and stats in every single way were better than Troy Aikman's. He's in the hall of fame the first three years. Now the NFL has changed a bit. I, no question. But you're talking about a guy that has twice as many touchdown passes as interceptions. I think he's got a completion rate right around 65%, which is great. I think his quarterback rating has been above 90 all three years he's played. Again, these are really rare things for a guy in their first three years. And it just he just got this negative shroud around him, like this negative cloud that just followed him. Everybody just decided that he couldn't play football anymore. And because of that, nobody wanted to trade for him. Well, if you're not also aware, top-ranked quarterbacks in the NFL are getting paid somewhere between 40 to $45 million a year. And the NFL has a very hard salary cap. When you sign one of these guys to $45 million, you might have a phenomenal quarterback, but it makes it very tough to pay the rest of your team. So maybe you've got the best quarterback in the world, but if you can't afford to put other people around him, and interestingly enough... It, in the modern age, not once has the highest paid quarterback in the NFL won a Super Bowl. Okay? Now, at some point, you would expect that trend to break, but I think that that's kind of powerful. 
Meaning you might be a good team, but it's hard to be a great team when one guy is sucking up that much. So when you looked at Baker Mayfield, the Panthers ended up getting him for a fifth round draft pick, which in the NFL world is considered a pretty low value asset. So not much. And they're paying him $9 million a year, which is nothing. There are backup quarterbacks that make close to that. Okay? And he's only got one year left on his contract. So if it doesn't work out, you're not tied to him for a bunch of years. I was a huge proponent that the Seahawks should bring him in. Why? Probably my investing background. Let me explain. If Baker Mayfield comes in and he's not the right guy and he's not the guy that's going to get you to the show, you're only paying him $9 million for a year. Right. And then you're done with him and you move on to the next guy the very next year. Okay, but his stats say something else. They say that actually he's tracking in a very good direction. Right. So the way I looked at it, he's a former number one draft pick that you potentially have a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback that you're getting for nothing. Right. If he doesn't end up being that you're not tied to him for multiple years, it is what we call a very convex trade, meaning if it doesn't work, you lose nothing. Right. It's it's not like if Geno Smith or Drew Locke, the other two quarterbacks that we have, it's not like Baker playing a year is going to take away a year of their development. Neither of these guys appear to be started. Drew Lock is still young. He could end up being something. He's got a lot of skill, but there's no, no, you don't know, right? Well, interestingly enough, what team picked up Baker Mayfield? Dave, the Carolina Panthers. Who owns the Carolina Panthers? David Tepper. Why is his name significant? David Tepper is one of the greatest hedge fund managers of all time. Ran a firm called Appaloosa Management. As a matter of fact, he's another guy that I've followed and looked up to. Tepper's averaged like 25% annual rates of return. I think he was running it for about 20 years. Exceptional investor in every way. And I laughed when Carolina picked him up because I sat there and I went, of course you picked him up. You probably saw exactly what I did, which you, if you were a team out there that was unsure about your quarterback you should have picked him up. Why? Because there's just upside. If it doesn't work out, you still don't have a good quarterback if you're the Seahawks. Well, guess what? That puts you in the exact same place you're at right now. If it does work out, you just picked up a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback for a fifth round draft pick. And you only paid him nine million bucks. Right? This is the other side of risk management. When we talk about risk management, all too often people think, oh, it's protection against loss. And that's certainly part of it. The other side of it is sometimes we want to take flyers on things because they don't have any downside. And we'll get into this more in the next segment. But I was we did a road show last night. And that was one of the things I was telling people about bonds. I go, look, guys, we didn't tell you to get out of bonds because we thought they were going to lose you 50% and it was going to create some kind of catastrophe. We told you to get out of bonds because they could take losses, but most importantly, they had no upside, right? It was like the inverse of the Baker Mayfield scenario, right? There's no upside to it. Whereas you look at Baker Mayfield at $9 million a year for one year, there's virtually no risk. Worst case scenario is you end up right where you are now. And that's not a risk. Right? So these are the ways I want people to think about risk management. It's not risk management is a wonderful way to not take big losses. But when risk management is, is exercised properly, it delivers better returns. Okay, and there's something I want to hit you on. And we did a little project here. And I think I've mentioned this the other day, I think a couple shows back, but, but in the vein of this discussion of risk management, I wanted to hit it one more time in case anybody missed it. We look back at the market. Now, this was a quick and dirty one. So, so, so don't, um, um, it is very possible that the numbers are slightly off in terms of it because, you know, for instance, we didn't factor into it the dividend yield of the S&P 500. So there were little things, but we weren't really looking at that. We were just trying to look at the broader picture. So, so bear with me here. Um, but we were looking at if you had invested money in the year 2000, okay, and just invested it in the stock market, the S&P 500, SPY, ETF, right? If you did that and you just rode the market, 
as of today, you would have made about seven and a half percent. We'll call it seven and a half to eight and a half. Give some wiggle room there. Maybe as much little as seven, but right, right in that seven and a half ballpark. Okay. Now, had you invested money at the exact same time in the year 2000 and you set up now, you can't do this right now. This is what we kind of try to do, but there's no way to ensure you get this down, but it illustrates my point. Let's say you had a way where you could guarantee that in any given up year, you will only make 75% of the market's return. So if the market's up 10, you're making seven and a half. Okay. And then the trade-off is in any down year, you're only going to accept 25% of the downside. Okay. So had you invested, so you're getting 75% of the upside. So if the market's up 20, you're making 15 or no, is that right? Yeah. Two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and in down years, you're only taking 25% of the downside. Okay. Had you done that for the last 22 years, your annual rate of return was over 14. It doubled right? That's what we mean by risk management. All too often investors think success is where we're at at the high. How much money did we make? It doesn't do you any good if you hand it back in the next market drop. So risk management isn't about hiding under the table. It's not about being afraid of loss. It's making intelligent decisions that gives you the gains you need to finance your life and simultaneously perfects you or protects you from the drops that could seriously hamper and negatively impact your life. How how is that not the way we're all looking at retirement portfolios? Again, retirement's a certainty. You're going to need to retire. You got to have a plan that works regardless and maximizing gains in any one year is not how you get there. And I'm not going to use the term slow and steady wins the race because there are plenty of times like in the last year, since the beginning of last year, actually, we're beating the market handily. We're not slow and steadying it. We're generate better, better returns. But it's just we all think about it wrong. Well, it's all about how much you made. No. Because the biggest thing that determines how much you make over time is how much you lose. And if this resonates with you, which it should, because this is math, this isn't subjective. This is objective. It just is what it is. The number, go play with the numbers, run the numbers yourself. 75% of the upside, whenever the market's up 25% of the down, you blow it away. More importantly, You're not sitting in a portfolio that could wreck you. Give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website. Knowyourriskradio.com. There is a better way. And you got a shot right here, guys. You just had a big old rally. If you're sitting in these portfolio, the same old, same old, you've gotten several previews of what this is going to look like. And if we're right, which there's no guarantee that we are, but if we're right, Waking up right now and making the change. Don't wait till the pain hits. Change in anticipation. You're getting a wonderful crack at it here. You just got a relief rally out of nowhere. Right size your portfolio. If nothing else, just get rid of your bonds. There's such a better way. And here's the thing, guys. You're going to agree with me eventually. I'm just telling you, we're not talking about maybes here. I've been the guy on the show beating up bonds for the last seven years. Can't tell you how many people we've called recently, Zach, I've been hearing you talk about bonds for years and you were right. Should have listened to you three years ago. Now we're glad to have them. I'm not going to rank on them or, you know, criticize or whatever, but I'm just saying, wish you'd have made that decision several years ago. You'd have a lot more money. Anyway, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Stick with us through the break. As always, call us 866-779-RISK. Just get a separate opinion, guys. Go look at why we're even on the air. Go look. Go look how we outperformed last year and the year before. We were only down 6.5% during COVID. That's what a retirement portfolio should look like. Quit paying some advisor to stick you in worthless mutual funds and just collect a fee off you. He's not doing it because he's bad. It's just the only thing he knows. You're paying for nothing. You're getting market and bond returns less their fee. There's a better way. Anyway, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. 
pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. All right. So got to go quick for these last two segments. Um, actually going to go really quick on this one because I want to get a little bit in on the back end of this on that macro discussion. Um, but bond replacement. All right. We've talked about the fixed indexed annuity averages five to six percent a year, pretty much like clockwork. It's done better at times, but. In, from our purview, that fixed indexed annuity with no fee, insured against loss, I just think that that 5 to 6% bet is good. Can it do better? Yes, it has for some of our clients over the longer run, but that's all we're counting on. But remember, we're also pairing that with our real estate portfolio. Some really interesting things about that. In the last two years, the, the, the income distribution, so the amount of income that our clients have been invested into that fund have made has about a 13% return on the income side. The fund is appreciated by about 7%. It's up about 7% this year. Um, and you've had about a 20, 21% net return. Now that's part of our bond portfolio. Average bond portfolio over that same period of time is down anywhere between eight to 15. So pretty, pretty big outperformance. Uh, another big benefit I've also told you guys that that real estate fund we use is one of the best funds ever at replicating the benefits of actually owning property yourself. And one of the parts of that is, is that as a partner in this fund, the the depreciation of the underlying properties passes through to you. So that 13% in income that our clients have been paid out for the last two years, uh, none of it last year was taxable and none of it is probably going to be taxable this year because of depreciation events. So not only have they drastically outperformed bonds, both in down markets and up markets, the income they've been paid is working like a municipal bond fund. Now it won't do that every year, right? It's, it'll vary because they may not have a depreciating type event that, that delivers that. But the point is, is that once again, there's just such better ways to do this. Right. Bonds were down in the covid drop. Bonds were down about 20. The the real estate fund was down four, finished the year with a four percent gain. It's up seven this year. There's a better way. This thing's got less volatility over the last 50 years than bonds. Last 25, certainly. I actually we did the study over 25 years. I didn't look at the 50 year picture, but it, it it's just it, it's ludicrous. There's such better things out there with tax advantages and rate just. There's a better way to do it. Here's another one. They just launched something that is going to be called a 721. Okay, so you've heard of 1031 exchange. This will be a 721. This is where you can sell a property, not have to pay income tax, and move your money into the real estate fund. So you no longer have to handle property management. You no longer have to find tenants. You don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. You're still getting your 6.5% distributions. You're still getting the depreciation pass through. And you can get out of that property, move it into the fund that you don't have to manage anymore, and you can do it without paying cap gains. Right? This is the stuff that we're working on all the time to help our clients find edges, little ways. How do we take this thing that's making you 2 to 3% and get you in something that's got less risk, similar cost structure, and making 6 to 7 
right? Just those little things over the course of 10 to 20 years make huge differences. There's a better way, guys. Call us, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website. You guys know the drill. KnowYourRiskRadio.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to write back for a quick segment where I'm going to try to summarize my macroeconomic picture for what it's worth, and hopefully it'll give you some insight and, and clarity to close the show. Uh, you're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Take us through the break. We'll be right back. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. All right, I thought I had a little more time on this one. Probably need a little bit more time, but let me kind of lay out one of the reasons that I am very skeptical of this rally in this market in general um, has to do with the fact of the macroeconomic picture that we're looking at. Now, Chase and I spent a lot of time talking about this, but there were some things we didn't hit on because, you know, I, I, when I have Chase on, I'm, I'm there strictly for his, his outlook. That's, that's what people want to hear. You guys hear me talk every week. Um, but I noticed there were a couple things that we didn't get to, and, and I want to hit on them real quick. Um, I, I, everywhere I look, I just see issues, right? Um, for instance, and we've talked about this on the show, you're removing stimulus, you're ramping interest rates. We sit down and start crunching numbers, guys, and it's just extraordinarily hard for me to picture a scenario in which we don't see significant softening in consumer spending here in the United States due to those factors uh, over the next several years or, or, you know, the next year, year and a half. One of the biggest things is just because of all the stimulus, record low interest rates, PPP, all these other things, I just don't see anything in the economy that takes that or dethrones that and takes over that role that that was playing as far as consumer spending goes. So it kind of looks really simple to me. If you wanted a flat screen TV, if you wanted a new deck, if you wanted garage doors, if you wanted a new barbecue, if you wanted a new switch or Xbox or whatever the case may be, you've already bought it. And those aren't things you continue to buy every year, right? You don't need a new, you don't need four barbecues. I'm sure there's some barbecue nut out there that buys a barbecue every year or every two years. I'm sure, I'm sure there is law of averages, but generally speaking, you don't. And I just think what you've done through stimulus is you've just pulled forward all this demand and you're going to hit a consumer demand pocket outside of that in the United States. I don't really see a whole lot of problems because the flip side is the consumer balance sheet is pretty healthy. They are a lot of people still have a lot of cash. Right. But I think that we'd be remiss if we forgot that, you know, over 30 percent of revenues on the S&P 500 come from overseas. You look at the overseas picture, guys, the consumers overseas haven't gotten stimulus. Right. They don't have. And if they did, it wasn't paid out in dollars. The dollar index is still above 100, 107 and climbing as of today. Higher energy prices. You're not going to get increased consumer spending coming out of Europe. You're not going to see it coming out of Japan. You ain't seeing it coming out of China. And then you look at stock market valuations and you're still, you know, you're not obscene, but, you know, markets trading at 24 times earnings. That tells you everything is good and we're going to keep growing and we're rolling. And you just can't find that anywhere if you're just looking objectively. Now, are there good things that could happen that could turn that the other way? Sure. Markets are really unpredictable. So are economies. But we got to play with the information we're looking at right now today. And when you look across the picture, that's all you really see is strife and complication and still very elevated and irrationally moving markets. Interest rates going up. It's just like I said, I, I you know, I, I now here's the other thing that we need to temper our view with. Okay, that does not say that we're heading for some cataclysmic crash. As a matter of fact, the last period of time in the United States, we've talked about this on the show a lot, where you saw inflation, the last significant inflationary period was during the 70s. You never got a huge crash during the 70s, but you did. Okay, during the 70s, that whole stretch of time is about a 13 year run there where it was really nasty, oil embargoes, going off the gold standard, double-digit inflation. We all know the story. And if you go back and look at the stock market, it didn't perform well, but it never dropped more than about 30% from its high. But over the course of 12 to 13 years, the total returns were in the teens, between 15 17%. Right? So 
If you owned the stock market over those 13 years, at the end of them, you were up 13, 17%. People go, well, Zach, that's not a cataclysmic outcome. And I go, are you kidding me? Do you realize what that would do to the, your personal balance sheet? If inflation was running at nine to 10% a year for 13 years and your investment portfolio only went up 15%, that is a crash, right? 9% inflation for 13 years means that the cost of purchasing goods over that period of time, and I'm not doing the math, but would be up what 150 to 200%. Meanwhile, your investment portfolio went up 15. That is a crash. And that's the other thing that we've got to be thinking about. You may not get the cataclysmic fall, guys, but if this sequence rhymes, and I actually see some, I wouldn't be shocked if that was it. Maybe we're just in a trading range for an extended period of time. But if you're in a trading range and you're going sideways with inflation north of 6%, you're getting killed about risk management. And if you are sitting in a stock and bond portfolio, guys, and that plays out and history repeats itself like it did in the 70s, you're going to get wrecked. You're going to get wrecked. This year was a preview. Don't let that preview turn into the movie. Call us. 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management. Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.